can't shake these lies they keep running around in my head but what if i saw me the way that you see me what if i believed it was true what if i traded this shame and self-hatred for a chance at Welcome to episode 42 of the Lovable Podcast. This week, we continue to tackle some of the biggest barriers to living a purposeful life. And specifically, this week, we're going to tackle one of the biggest ones, which is also one of the more subtle ones, and that is inertia. Um, We're going to focus on cultivating a sense of urgency uh, about our lives and a zest for our lives. And we're going to do this not by living as if it's the end of the world, um, but by living as if it's the end of our senses, our ability to touch, taste, hear, smell, and see. By the end of today's episode, you're going to feel more engaged with your life, more grateful for the abundance in your midst, and more motivated to move forward with the practicing of your passions. Before we get going, though, I have an exciting announcement for you. This fall, um, I practice at Artisan Clinical Associates in Naperville, Illinois, and this fall, I'm teaming up with Dagmar Kaufman um, from On Balance Parenting in Naperville to host a series of talks on the third Tuesday of every month at the Alive Center in Naperville, um, near Naperville North High School. Um, Each talk is going to be focused on cultivating raising and launching kids who uh, not, are not just happy, not just momentarily happy, but abidingly joyful and truly resilient so that they can go out and launch and be independent adults. So again, that's going to be the third Tuesday of every month. So we start September 18th um, at the Alive Center in Naperville. And you can go to my Facebook page, drkellyflanagan.com, um, and go to the events to find out more details about how to register. Tickets are free, um, but we would appreciate it if you'd register so that we can plan accordingly for attendance. So please check that out, and we look forward to seeing you there. Also, I want to remind you the comprehensive, lovable study experience is available now. Everything we've been working through in this podcast, all of the written content that goes along with the year of listening, loving, and living, as well as an individual and group study guide for lovable, it's available for free on my website. So you can go there right now to get it at drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. Again, that's drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. And while you're there, you can sign up for my mailing list at the top of the right sidebar You'll immediately get a free ebook um, entitled The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down. You'll get a free sample of Lovable, and then every week you'll get uh, just this, uh, one email on Wednesday mornings with links to helpful content like this podcast and my occasional blog posts. Um, and of course, if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. It's available everywhere in paperback, digital, and audio, so support a local bookseller if you can. All right, I think that's it. Let's get into this week's episode, how five senseless days could make sense of the rest of your days. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 41 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled, How Five Senseless Days Could Make Sense of the Rest of Your Days. In the first five or six weeks of these months of living, these months about passion and purpose, these months of resurrecting the true self that has been hibernating within you so it can get up and walk out into the world and do what it has always wanted to do, we've been focusing on identifying internal and external resistance to doing so. And then last week, we began to focus on increasing your sense of urgency about starting, even while you're experiencing resistance. This week, we are going to focus on continuing to cultivate a sense of urgency, which can only happen if you are fully present to your life. Before we do, though, let's check in about your experiences so far with regard to passion and purpose. In general, 
What passions are you connecting with? What resistance are you noticing? And what success or challenges are you discovering in trying to overcome it? And more specifically, when you consider last week's topic, this idea that by hoping for change, we sometimes delay the work of changing. When you think about the fact that having a direction sometimes prevents you from walking in that direction, what do you notice in your own experience that you're needing to focus on? And while you're thinking about what you want to share in that regard, um, I thought I would share a little bit about uh, my experiences of doing the exercise that we talked about last week. So last week we talked about how hopelessness can sort of keep us stuck um, in some ways because we, we have a vision for where we want to go, but we're not actually walking in that vision. We hope that we'll get there someday rather than walking toward that someday. Um, and so... Uh, um, I practiced last week's exercise, which was designed to sort of cultivate a sense of hopelessness that if I don't start doing something about it, um, nothing's going to change here. I can't just sit back and hope for, for change to automatically happen. And I was really surprised by, by where that exercise wound up for me. Um, I was not actually drawn to um, thinking about my you know, clinical practice or my writing uh, career or anything like that. And maybe it's because it was the first week of school and my oldest was starting high school and my middle guy is on the verge of becoming a middle schooler and just everybody's growing up so fast. But the thing that I found myself focused on was um, I need to reinvest some of my passions in my family uh, more so than ever. Um, and, and those of you who have heard me talk live and maybe even on this show know that um, that basically... My, the clarity about my passion has slowly evolved over time. You know, it, uh, I used to think it was just being a therapist, uh, and then I thought it was just being a dad, and then I thought it was being a writer. And what I've come to discover over time, that the passion that sort of undergirds all of those is speaking in the tender voice of a father. That if I had to sort of summarize it in a phrase, that's what it is. And that's why I love being a therapist, and I love being a dad, and I love being a writer. I get to practice that passion in all of those areas. Well, out of all those areas in my life, um, I think I think my tendency to hope that something will change. Well, you know, when this thing happens at work, I'll be more free to sort of have this time at home to practice my passion there. Or, you know, once I get this this next uh, manuscript proposed, then I'll have more. It's like, no, you can't hope for that. Your kids are growing; they're 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 moving on soon in many ways, and you need to start uh, walking. Uh, towards that that passion and practicing that passion towards your children so and your wife um, so that's where I, I wound up this week it was a surprise to me I didn't expect it um, every time I do this exercise it's different and it's one of the things I love about this year of listening loving and living is that we're gonna wrap it up here in a few months but you could go right back to the beginning and start over again and it'll be an entirely different experience for you, you cycle through this worthiness, belonging, and purpose thing over and over again and differently each time. So um, anyways, that's where I'm, I'm at right now in terms of being clear about my passions and, uh, and where I want to head with them and what the resistance is. And, um, and so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Where, where are you at right now in the, the discovering of your passions, the practicing them, the facing the resistance and overcoming it or not? What's, what's happening for you?
Carrie Lynn writes, I have always wanted to learn how to read music and play the piano. I have had three lessons, exclamation point. My life is so busy and I've had to cancel lessons and lose the money because of a busy work schedule. I had to make a choice, give up or give up the need for my learning to be productive and efficient. Who cares? I go when I am able and I am learning and loving it and I do not care about the fact that I have to cancel last minute and eat the fees sometimes. It is imperfect and that suits me. Carrie Lynn, I love that. It's such a beautiful... Um, demonstration for us that in in you're you're sort of anticipating next week's topic actually next week's topic is going to be really really hammering in on that uh, idea that to practice a passion it has to be extraordinary the outcome has to be extraordinary uh, we're going to be focused on that next week but you're getting at it right now and uh, not a moment too soon this idea that um, you know, I don't have to do it perfectly. I don't have to go to every, I just need to fill the margins of my life with the sorts of things that I've always wanted to do, um, and that bring life and joy and energy to me. And if practicing them sometimes is frustrating or suffering and their sacrifices, well, that's worth it. Um, because this is what I want to do. I really appreciate that example. And a lot of other people will too. Thank you, Carrie Lynn. Heather writes, my passion is travel. I feel best while out adventuring, exploring. Since now the nest is empty and the husband is gone, I'm trying to figure out how I can take my show on the road. Heather, I think as you, as you say that, I think probably so many of us can relate to, as we go through certain stages of life, um, we wouldn't necessarily do them differently. We wouldn't change them, but they did necessitate to some extent sort of a, a compartmentalizing of our passions, right? Um, now, maybe if you'd realized that more, maybe you'd have worked that more into family life earlier in your life, but there's also limitations to that. Um, and so it goes back to that idea again, seizing upon the opportunities to sort of let those passions out of the compartment we keep them in, you know? The whole theme of this these months is resurrection, how do we resurrect them out of the tomb that they've been sort of stored away in and let them walk around again? And how can I take my show on the road, I think is a great way to frame that. How can I, how can I get up and let these passions walk around again? Um, we are excited to hear how you end up deciding to do that. Um, please keep us posted on your travels and your destinations. Mike writes, well, my challenge at the moment the challenge is one of patience, especially in my work. I've taken time to make to try to be sure about my wants, but it isn't ju to just me. I know why I like what I do for work. I know the kind of people I want to work with. Now it's an exercise in minding them. I have my why. I know what. Just need to find the who. Wow, that is, um, you know, we, we talk about uh, during these years of uh, this year of listening, loving, and living, of worthiness, belonging, and purpose, how it's not just this linear progression, but as you move into the next task, it also is beginning to refine some of the work you did in the previous stage, right? So as you move into uh, cultivating belonging, you're now also having to deepen your sense of worthiness because that's risky to put yourself out there, right? And the same thing happens when we move into really practicing our passion, it begins to clarify who our people are. Um, what are the places of belonging? Who who do I want to do this thing with, right? Um, and so Mike, I think that is exactly, the, it makes perfect sense what you're saying and it's exactly the way that this should go. I've gotten all sorts of clarity about what I'm passionate about doing, what I wanna do. Now, who do I do it with? And that is gonna further clarify um, your circles of belonging and that's a beautiful thing.
Marie writes, I'm realizing that maybe one of my passions is being with my husband and kids, really enjoying them. I get excited with observing the kids and guiding them, but I find that it's my default to get swept away by moment-by-moment -moment needs, which gives me an excuse to not spend time thinking ahead and how to connect with them and support them, avoiding effort and decision-making. Yeah, yep. I would want to continue to take that that idea of I'm noticing I'm being drawn to some sort of really intentional engagement with my family. Um, as I articulated earlier, um, the phrase that sort of captures that for me is speaking in the tender voice of a father, leading through guidance and tenderness. Um, I wonder, I wonder how you could sort of deepen your awareness about that passion for your family by putting trying to put into a phrase or maybe a paragraph a description of what it is about being with your family that is most thrilling to you at this moment um, and i believe as your clarity about that develops um, your ability to manage distractions will also improve in other words you'll you'll take a look at a distraction you'll you'll go does that serve this purpose does this serve the purpose of practicing that passion with my family and it becomes sort of a screening tool. And if it doesn't, nope. Um, if it does or if it allows you to practice that passion, then yeah, we, we do that. We focus that. We let that into our life. Um, I think that's how those two things go together. So um, I'm curious as these months, as this months continue, um, the, the clarity that will emerge for you about your family. Good stuff. Brenda writes, learn to have clear communication with family without emotionalism derailing it. Develop healthier habits, do self-care so I'm able to enjoy time with adult children, grandbaby, and friends. Move into this new stage happily. Um, I, love the, I love that one of the themes right now is that, I mean, it was the theme that I led with today, it's the theme, Marie, that you're mentioning, it's the theme, Brenda, that you're mentioning, is that there's this passion for cultivating sort of authentic connection and depth in our in our families. And that's that's beautiful to me. That's where hopefully we are practicing belonging and that our passions are being brought to bear in those places as much as any other place. Why would we want to just give the good stuff to people <laughs> out there, right? Um, why why do we get the give the leftovers to the family? Why don't we start there in practicing our passions and then and then go from there? I love that. Thank you, Brenda. Larmy writes, I get really excited about loving, supporting, and coaching others to fulfill their dreams, but I've never really been able to get in touch with a dream for me. Larmy, um, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but it's really important. To, it's, it's so important. Um, one, of the, one, of the, um, one of the real drawbacks of people who are natural helpers and you know, therapists like myself definitely fall into that category, but all sorts of other people too is that we we sometimes get up get caught up in helping other people um, develop their passions and interests and dreams and then fit, sort of neglect our own and i do think there are a few people for whom the developing of others passions is their passion it truly is it's their core passion um, but i think for most of us um, it's part of what we love to do but it's not the whole thing um, and so we really do need to step back and say um, if I was helping myself develop my passions right now, if I was supporting myself and caring for myself in pursuing my dreams, what would I be telling myself? If I was my best friend, what would I be saying? Um, we really do, helpers need to be asking that question. Um, and one of the things I've noticed amongst therapists is that therapists who are really vibrant in their clinical practice, really sustainable and engaged and they're not burning it out, it's because they have a dream they're pursuing on the side as well. They're playing in a band, they're writing a book, they're painting, they're doing whatever. They've, 
They've identified their passions in addition to their passion for helping everybody else. So I think that's what you're getting at. And I think maybe it's time to just sort of become your own helper. Um, and if it's hard to do, if it's hard to make that transition into that role for yourself, go find a helper that can can be the one to pay attention to you for a while and ask you what are your dreams and, uh, and not look away until you've been able to, to start to identify them. Heather writes, my passion uh, for travel I did share with my family as they were growing up, and for years my family was my passion as well, but since that dynamic has completely changed, and while my family is still hugely important, but currently it's my turn to really single out what I want to as I navigate my new empty nest single girl status. You know, in a way, probably, uh, Heather, it's a lot like, you know, we were just discussing with Larmy that you were in the position of of helper, and so a lot of energies had to go into... um, practicing that passion for your family um, and hopefully doing it, bringing as much of your true self, your, your adventurous self to it as possible. But what a blessing to be able to step back uh, in the, at this stage. Um, I know you've gone through a lot of hard stuff recently um, and it has not all been blessing. A lot of it's been pain, um, but maybe one of the hidden blessings is in it is the freedom to say, unencumbered, I get to really practice this passion of mine for a while and get to know myself better in it. Um, and we do hope that, that for you, that's what's, what uh, is, is beginning to emerge as a fruit of, of uh, the hard struggle that you've gone through. Mike asks a great question. Um, how does the passion change as life happens, or does it? If I had to sum it up mine, it would be coaching. Kelly's passion of a loving father certainly resonates with me. I think that coaching loving father idea has been present, but I think I've looked at it differently as I've experienced life. Um, you know, again, Mike, you're, you're highlighting one of the really important factors about how this entire trajectory of worthiness, belonging, and purpose fits together. Um, that when we arrive at some additional clarity about our passion and how we can live it purposefully, um, it's one arrival. Um, but we often discover that we then sort of pursue that and uh, the pursuit of it sort of triggers additional shame and insecurity and so we're back wrestling with our worthiness and figuring out who our people are who will support us through that and then all of a sudden we're back discovering something new about our passion Um, so I see this as an iterative cyclical lifelong process Um, and uh, I'd like to think that our passion is sort of present from the beginning and that what we are doing is gradually getting a clearer and more complete picture of it. And that those developmental stages don't mean our passion is necessarily changing, um, but we're, we're getting a look at it from a different angle because life is affording us a different angle to look at it from. Um, that's, I think, the, that's, that's the, I don't know. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening to a guy who doesn't know for sure, but is just telling you what he um, based upon my experience and working with so many different people over time, that that's my my gut instinct on it is um, that's how passion works. Thanks again, everybody, for just another wonderful discussion. Um, I again, I continue to be sort of awed by your willingness to show up and share and uh, um, just provide so much helpful thought and. Uh, conversation for everybody listening in. So thank you. Um, We're going to move now into this week's topic, which is, I think, a sort of a natural extension of last week's topic. Um, It's about continuing to increase our attention to and our sense of urgency about this one life we each have. Um, It's about uh, not this idea that last week it was that hopelessness or hope, in a way, sort of holds us back from feeling urgent. Um, and, uh, and this week we're focusing on how just sort of the natural, subtle inertia of a life can hold us back, um, from 
from feeling urgent and engaged with where we want to go. So we're going to focus on that sense of inertia and overcoming that. Um, and in, instead of taking away your hope this week, we're going to take away your senses. Um, it's week 40 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled Five Senseless Days That Could Make Sense of the Rest of Your Days. Slowly, I began to lose my hearing. Every few days, for about 30 seconds, I would lose my hearing completely in my right ear. The doctors couldn't find an explanation, but then a chiropractic adjustment seemed to resolve it for about six weeks. Then it happened again in the other ear, and then it happened again, and again, and again. As I waited one afternoon to see the chiropractor, my anxiety swelled. I thought of the music I love and the sound of wind and autumn trees and the way my wife's contagious laugh can be heard from two houses away, and I started to panic. We don't think about disease and disability and death until we have to. And that's a good thing. If we walked around constantly ruminating about disease, life itself would become a dis-ease. There is something healthy in our capacity to compartmentalize some things for a little while. But what do we do when those things walk out of their compartment and sit down in the middle of our lives? I get scared. Some people get angry. Others get compulsive. Some people try to solve the problem until they run out of possible solutions. Some people simply shove the thing back in its compartment and refuse to think about it. I wish I was capable of that, but I'm not. I don't get as scared as I used to, but I still wake up in the wee hours of the night thinking about it, and it still intrudes into my waking hours, a thought I didn't even realize I was having that makes my heart skip a beat. As I waited for my chiropractor, I tried to think of the healthiest way to let my fear out of its compartment. I thought of the question many of us will play with from time to time. If I had one day to live, what would I do? As we explored earlier in these pages, oftentimes the answer to that question includes radical things like quitting jobs and jumping out of airplanes and soaking up pleasure and tearful goodbyes to loved ones. It's an extreme question about an extreme situation that elicits extreme answers. As I sat in the chiropractor's office, it wasn't helpful. So instead, I began asking a different question. If I only had one day to hear, what would I listen to? That evening, I arrived home weary from a long week. As usual, I was craving silence. I have three kids. I said goodbye to silence a long time ago. So as usual, I opened the door, and as usual, I prepared myself for the onslaught of school updates and questions and fights about toys and protests about the dinner selection and resistance to bedtime. But on this particular evening, something unusual happened. The three little voices came at me, and on the day I was be imagining to be my last day to hear, I was overwhelmed with gratitude. I soaked it all in. Every lilting word and every whiny cry and every petty jab. I wanted to hear my wife laugh with them, and I wanted to hear her get frustrated at them. I wanted to hear the clink of glasses and the clank of silverware. I wanted to hear the kids chewing with their mouths open. I wanted to hear the doorbell ring and the dog barking like an idiot. Like an old Aerosmith song, I didn't want to miss a thing. With one day to hear, the cacophony felt more sacred than silence ever could. With one day to hear, the noise in my ears became music to my ears. With one day to hear, the insonorous world rang with treasures. Usually, by that time in the work week, I just want the day to be over, but on this unusual evening, I didn't want it to ever end. The MRI was negative, and the chiropractic adjustment worked again, and this time we figured out what I was doing to displace a bone onto the auditory nerve. The relief was immense. Yet a part of me wanted more of the awareness and the experience the crisis had given rise to. So this is what I decided to do. I lived the next day as if it was my last day with sight. The messy house became a gift. I lived the day after that as if it was the last day I would smell. The dead rot of autumn made me dizzy. I lived the next day as if it was the last day I could taste. My toothpaste was like dessert. 
and I lived the following day as if it was my last day to touch. I realized how warm a hug is. In the words of Frederick Buechner, quote, listen to your life, see it for the fathomless mystery it is, in the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it, because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. So that is the reading for this week, and it is, that quote, by the way, that concludes the reading is, like, by, I think, by far my favorite quote of all time. (laughs) Um, And so I'm glad to be able to wrap up this reading with it. Um, That last quote, it suggests that if we can only pay closer to attention to our life, we'll sort of discover this abundance, this holiness, this gracefulness woven throughout it. And when we are connected with those qualities of life, our resistance and inertia begin to give away. We become attracted to the richness and depth of it, um, and the the sort of staleness and dullness of our inertia becomes something that we, we feel more urgent about overcoming. Um, So what resonates with you about this reading? When you're truly attentive to your life, what abundance and what urgency for change do you begin to notice? Heather writes, yep, nailed it. You're right, this week is yet again timely. I have lots of great memories of being completely in the moment during family times, but now I'd like to look at it from this different perspective. Yep. Yeah, like this is, Heather, for you is a chance to, um, to tune into your life again from a completely different perspective to, to a life that is populated by people in very different ways, um, it's going to give you a new angle on it. Um, so you're going to learn more about your passion for adventure <laughs> and exploration. And uh, um, it, doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean the years that you spent trying to incorporate that passion into your family life were somehow wasted. You were learning all along, and now, you know, now it's next semester <laughs> and uh, you have a more advanced level class about it <laughs> and that's uh, that's okay it's a lifelong journey heather writes my urgency is large to the point of looking for jobs out of state in cities where i thought thinking i might want to live or explore i mean heather that in and of itself is an affirmation of your passion <laughs> because like i think i've shared this before like my passion is writing which means i love being in a room by myself and not going anywhere <laughs> and the idea of like just uh turning things upside down and starting over somewhere else it's about as far from my passion and my true self as i could get it but it's such an affirmation of what your true self wants to do and your passion for that so um it's a beautiful thing um and uh don't close the door on it right um and you know, I go back several episodes, that idea of we close the cabinet door on this, this, this urge, this, this motivation that is large in you right now. Don't, don't let that happen. I don't sense that you're going to. Good for you. Jack writes, just finished a great book, The Art of Hearing Heartbeats by Jean-Philippe Senker. That's spelled S-E-N-D-K-E-R for those who are listening. Um, just finished a great book, The Art of Hearing Heartbeats. It is so relevant to this conversation. Being grateful and knowing your senses affect your mind in so many ways and for so many years. One of the main methods of cultivating mindfulness, and here we are, and we spent a lot of time focusing on cultivating mindfulness and presence back in the months of listening and worthiness, but here we are back again, trying to do it again um, in order to get reconnected with our sense of uh, passion um, and to, to create a sense of urgency about practicing it but we spend so much time in our heads thinking. And when we are thinking, almost always we are disconnected from our senses. And our five senses are the pathway to connecting with our life. Um, if we are thinking, to some extent, we have stepped back from our life and we are not engaged with it. If we are sensing, we are fully engaged with it. So if we can turn that mind's attention to our senses, 
Um, now we are fully engaged with our life. Um, and only through full engagement with our life can we truly begin to get real clarity about what our passions are and, and motivated to, to pursue them um, and overcome all of that inertia that wants to keep us still. Marie writes, being present sounds like a simple task, as you've said, simple but not easy, but it's not even simple. I've been focusing lately on things I'm grateful for, but being present to the senses, gotta practice that. Yeah, the complexity introduced by our thoughts when we decide to really just tune into our senses, the way that our thoughts sort of interfere with our connection to our senses is, um, it does make it feel very complicated. Um, that's why we're going to talk about it today. I, you know, I'm going to encourage you to, to focus on one sense in particular on a given day um, and to be mindful as much as you can over the course of that day of how you've abandoned that sense um, and tune in in that moment to, to what's going on. So um, we want to hopefully over time have those thoughts begin to die down and the complexity of those thoughts so that we can engage in that simple but not easy practice of... of um, of staying staying in touch with the moment. Deb F writes, for me, after spending so many years taking care of others as a civil servant, just being is wonderful. This is the push-pull for me as far as my writing goes. I am so blessed to be retired and to be taking care of just me that I want to just revel in it. Yet, I think my getting to know myself has been key these last few years, and I feel so blessed. I am taking small steps and I'm getting some ideas on paper, but it's been slow and I've decided to be okay with that. Yeah, you know, I think... Uh, I think, Deb, you're getting at something that Carrie Lynn was getting at something and affirming that, um, you know, sort of speaking in the voice of a father is is valued in this public space as well, which is um, with our with our passions, we, we might find ourselves pulled in different directions, right? One passion may be incompatible with another, or practicing a passion in this area may mean doing it less in this area, and how do you find balance in all that? Um, and it points out, again, that this is not a... Uh, this is not a one and done sort of thing that as we start to dip our toe into our passions, we're, we're just starting to become familiar with the waters and the rest of our lives, hopefully we'll be swimming in them and getting more familiar with them. So yeah, Deb, you know, this, this deep desire to sort of be in a room by yourself and, and writing, but also you're naturally someone who is a helper and a servant and wants to be out there with people as well to recognize that those are both passions. Um, and one doesn't, doesn't sort of diminish the value of the other but learning how to live them in balance is, is really the, the task. Okay, so let's continue this conversation. Let's not change it. Let's just continue it by talking about this week's exercise because the exercise really is so part and parcel with the reading um, in the same way sort of that last week's uh, was. So let's, let's do that now and then we'll continue talking. Week 41 practice. Resurrecting our passions requires a lot of motivation, not because they are inert, but because we human beings are inclined to inertia. So far in these weeks of living, we've begun to acknowledge the passions hibernating within us, and we've begun to cultivate some constructive despair about allowing them to remain dormant. But most of us will require a little more motivation than that. In this week's exercise, we are going to cultivate that healthy sense of urgency, not by becoming more aware of what we aren't living, but by becoming increasingly aware of what we are already living, and how precious this one chance life really is. Here's your challenge. Live each of the next five days as if you're about to lose one of your senses. Each day, choose a different sense. Throughout the day, notice beautiful and treasured things you would not normally pay attention to. Write them down. Each day, keep a list. Lose your senses and then let it make sense of everything else. Let it remind you that life is messy and rotten and tedious and painful, but also a beautiful gift to be seen and smelled and heard and touched and tasted and treasured.
No matter how many days you have left, your time is short. Don't miss a thing, especially the resurrection of your truest self. So as I read that uh, practice today, I have a thought that I've never had before because this just happened yesterday. Uh, went out to lunch. Uh, our, our office went out to lunch, all, all of us together, us therapists. And uh, one of the topics that came up, which is always one of my favorite topics, is like if you're on a, stranded on a desert island with electricity somehow, um, what what's the one what's the one album you would take to listen to over and over on the island? Um, and you know, I think it, this this task, this practice, sort of brings up the same sort of question, which is not if you're on a desert island, but if you're about to, if tomorrow you were to lose your hearing, what's the music you would listen to? What's the album you would listen to? What sounds would you want to soak in so that you can remember them for as long as you can? What would you choose to pay attention to? And even the choices that you make in that. So there'll be, there'll be just a natural kind of engagement with what's happening around you, but you might discover, oh, I want to hear more of that. That's going to tell you more about your true self. That's going to tell you more about uh, what you're passionate about. Um, you know, not everybody would choose to listen to music. Um, for me, I'd probably put on Paul Simon's Graceland one more time, um, and I'd soak up every every line of it. Um, so, what what if you as you kind of think about this exercise, what will you want to pay attention to? What do you think will be challenging in it? Um, what do you anticipate as you go into this practice? Brenda writes, this will be interesting to do, although I'm reminded of the days after the accident that really ruined every expectation I had for the summer of family milestones and made being without any senses very real. Being alive was enough for us. Not much else got accomplished. I feel like I need to wake up my senses again with this practice. Um, you, you know, you're right, Brenda, that the the urge, the ambition to accomplish is oftentimes sort of incompatible with presence. You know, accomplishment is always about moving towards a future point, whereas being present is about kind of getting connected with this point. Um, so I think you're well positioned, um, having been forced to give up that ambition about accomplishment and having a summer that looks a certain way. You're sort of in, in being forced to be present. Now, I think this exercise, you're sort of poised to really dive into it and, and uh, enjoy the, the sense of presence and connection with, with your life that comes from it. So I'm excited to hear how it goes goes for you. Esther writes, I love the idea of finding something to be grateful for in the midst of something we find messy and unappealing and difficult, because life is full of those moments, and if I can extract joy from them, wow, just wow. Thank you for the reading and writing, which just reminded me that sometimes the joy that I'm searching for can be right in front of me, and paying attention to embracing and being grateful for the messy and minute parts of life helps me embrace the messy and the minute parts of me, too. Oh, that's beautifully said, Esther. Thank you for saying that. Um, I think Esther goes on, the biggest challenge will be my patience or lack thereof. Um, you know, your comment, Esther, reminds me of one of the wisest uh, quotes I've ever heard. I can't remember who said it. Uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but I'm going to paraphrase it here, which is that we cannot be grateful for all things, but we can be grateful in all moments, um, which to me is just a deep wisdom that says in this moment, there are things that no one should be grateful for going on, right? Um there, there, there's all sorts of pain and um, injustice and unfairness, and, and it's okay to not be grateful for those things. But right next to those things in this moment are things that we can be grateful for. In all moments, some of those exist, um, but we tend to get so focused on solving or fixing or resisting the things that we, we 
aren't and probably shouldn't be grateful for that we fail to sort of take in the things that we can be grateful for. So if we could live this week, not grateful for all things, but grateful in all moments, um, how would we really tune into our senses to cultivate that sense of gratitude? And you're right, patience for all of us. We, you're not alone in that. We all need an extra dose of patience. And really, you know, someone framed it to me this way. When you're practicing mindfulness, it does require an enormous amount of patience with your mind, which is going to constantly stray from t- attending to your senses, right? And so um, someone once described it to me as when your mind strays, it's like it's like teaching a, a an animal, a pet, a, a puppy, to, to go to the bathroom in one spot. When they walk away from it, you gently pick them up and bring it back, right? There's no point in yelling at them or um, punishing them. They're just doing what they naturally do, and they're learning that this is the spot you, that you want them to stay, right? So you just gently pick them up and put them back. Gently, and it just requires an enormous amount of patience to gently pick up your mind as it wanders away from the spot you want it to be and gently put it back where you want it to be. Um, But as you learn that patience, you'll also learn presence. So um, thanks for that reminder. Carrie Lynn writes, I love this practice. It is playful yet meaningful. It frames loss with appreciation in a fun way. I do hospice work, so I'm constantly thinking about what truly matters in the end. I like the idea of appreciating what we have along the way. Um, yeah, I've said this so many places before, Carrie Lynn, but I'll just say it again. Um, my, I started my blog because of essentially this sort of practice. Uh, it was in the second half of 2011 when I was reading Ann Voskamp's 1,000 Gifts and beginning to practice gratitude, which requires presence. You know, and It's not gratitude about like a, a heady sort of intellectual gratitude about like, I'm glad I have money in the bank. It's um, I'm grateful for the the sunlight dancing through the in the in the shadows dancing on the living room floor. And it's sort of a, a gratitude that arises from a sense of abundance and beauty in the moment. Um, and it was an awareness of that sense of abundance and beauty that sort of gave me the courage to launch the blog. Like, yeah, I might it might totally bomb, and the sunlight is dancing on the living room floor, right? Um, or people might really, you know. And really dislike my writing, really troll me, and the sunlight's dancing on the living room floor. If we're tuned into that sort of abundance, then a lot of the pain becomes a little bit more tolerable. Katrina writes, a friend of mine passed away recently and I thought I was fine and would just go to work the next day. Wow. But as I stopped to listen to my mind, it said to me to just stay home and take time to process. I find so often in this world, we're told that by ignoring our emotional needs and pushing through is some measure of success, but it's so good to stop and listen to your needs and senses. Um, Katrina, um, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, your, your loss is redeemed just, a, just fractionally by reminding a bunch of people um, to tune into that voice within us um, that says that success isn't, isn't what we're told it looks like. Success is something totally different. Success is being connected with one's true self um, and, uh, and living accordingly. And that's what you did that day. Good for you. Um, good for you. And Katrina, you know, the, the courage that you showed in that I think is important to acknowledge too. Um, because sometimes success is really just disguised um, a disguised painkiller, you know, like, well, if I go off to work and I accomplish something else today and I stay busy, I won't have to feel all of that pain underneath it. Um, and so a lot of people, maybe even hearing that voice, you know, you should, you should stay home today, take care of yourself, give yourself time to grieve, honor the, honor your friend by, by giving this space. 
Um, a lot of people would hear that voice and be like, uh-uh, hurts too much, going to work, I'll deal with this some other time. Um, and the I'll deal with this pain some other time, I'll engage with this experience some other time becomes the habit of life. So success is just is just a really a disguised way of not feeling pain for, for many of us. And, uh, and you deserve... Um, you deserve kudos for having the courage to uh, to honor your friend and, and yourself in that way. Marie writes, not an album, and two things, not one, that I would want if on a desert island. My son's laughter, oh, and my daughter's spontaneous, authentic smile. Maybe I should record an album as part of my practice this week. Oh my gosh, that's a brilliant idea. To sort of record your life. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? To just sort of record a day and then edit together. Um, the sound you'd want to take with you to a, a, a deserted island. <laughs> oh man, that's cool. Marie, thank you. Joy writes, I jumped on really late to this today. I love my sight, and I do because I love colors. I love subtle colors, the edges of colors. All right, everybody, hear that. I love the edges of colors. Now you're talking about not just paying attention to color, but to the borders, the borders where where objects meet other objects or colors within objects uh, meet each other. That's pretty cool stuff. Um, a common mindfulness practice that I recommend and that I practice is just to pick one color and tune into it. So today you're gonna be mindful of the color green in the world. Um, you're gonna be mindful of the color red, whatever. Um, but of course you can do it broadly too and just uh, be mindful of colors as you tune into that part of your senses. Thank you, Joy, that's, that's really valuable, appreciate it. Joy writes, colors nourish me. The colors in nature, the lighting that changes color, right? That the color of something is not necessarily an objective reality, that it changes as light hits it. What a, oh, a mind-boggling reality about the way things are constructed, right? Um, thank you for that reminder, too. Just that you can watch one thing and watch the color change over the course of the day. Anne writes, I might choose the sense of touch. I think because I don't think I notice the tactile differences of what I touch and how soft things are. Yes. Um, I, uh, when we were on vacation this summer, I shaved my goatee for the first time in 10 years. First time since my daughter was born. And I, I remember kissing her cheek and just feeling the softness of her cheek, which I can't feel when I have a goatee. <laughs> and it was just sublime. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, paying attention to those small sensations of touch can really connect us with some of the, the abundance in our life. Joy writes, I too love tactile sensations, so touch is the other sense I love. I know I now choose all my clothes by how they feel on the skin. That is so good. Thank you for that, Joy. Just to notice the way your clothes are feeling on your skin and making choices about those clothes um, to increase your sense of enjoyment of the moment. Um, well, I'll take that and went in. Thank you. Jackie um, writes, can you, and, and thanks for being here, Jackie. Jackie writes, can you repeat how you define success? Knowing your true self and living in alignment with your true self. Yes, that's how I would, that's it. That's how I would define success. Becoming aware of your true self, remembering it, reconnecting with it, and then resurrecting in what you do with your life. That's, to me, is success. Um, and the reality is um, some people's true self um, will be rewarded more monetarily in this world, right? The particular passions and gifts and skills they have are the kind that the world uh, rewards. Basketball players, professional basketball players are a great example. Um, but we don't want to get caught up judging success that way. Um, we want to just make sure that we are who we are. 
All right, everyone. Thanks again for really just another helpful discussion. Um, your courage to share is directly correlated with, with how helpful these, these episodes are. And I'm just so grateful again. Next week, we're going to focus on addressing one of the biggest barriers to practicing our passions, the belief that doing so must lead to something extraordinary. Um, we, we believe it has to be extraordinary in the end, so we never begin it in the beginning. Um, and it'll be week 42 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled, Don't Try to Be More Extraordinary, Just Try to Be More Human. Until then, remember, you are lovable. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, It is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made, her album, Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable.